The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they manage to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Drive Podcast, where we explore mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. My name is Jonathan Busfield. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, John Kuna. Today, we're going to be discussing social media. So this kind of relates a little bit back to episode 10. We did uh, an episode on barstool sports, and you know, some of the, doesn't directly relate, but some of the concepts we might talk about today uh, kind of tie into that episode. So if anyone um, you know, wants to go listen to that, I think they might they might find some connections. I did want to start real quick with a little bit of news. Um, so, one, John, you and I started a new gig yeah. um, at at a place called Cherish Health, which we're really excited about. Um, do you want to speak about that a little bit? Yeah. So, we got in, um, sort of employed and brought on to be performance coaches and executive coaches um, for the company to sort of help streamline systems and people and work on individual and team goals, kind of help that company sort of take the next level and just elevate themselves both like I said as a company but also individually for their individual people so really excited to get started and, and get going on that yeah absolutely cherish health is a fantastic company with with you know a group of people who are extremely intelligent intelligent and mm-hmm. really uh, talented at what they do and I think working with high performing people is something that we're obviously really really passionate about interested in and that as a company scales, I think it presents new challenges. And we're yep. excited about the intersection of that too. So Cherish Health is something new that John and I are doing. We're very excited about that one to shout out that company. Uh, I also wanted to bring a little bit of attention to some news real quick, John. We won't touch on it for too long. But I just yeah. I thought it was really cool that um, there's two examples. Of, I mean, this we're recording this. It's still in Pride Month. There's two examples of, of where sports and Pride Month really intersect. One was... Um, I mean, I think the the one that's getting more attention, I'm intentionally bringing these two up, is Carl, I think it's pronounced Nassib. Carl Nassib, Nassib. is a, a football player. I believe he's on the Oakland Raiders. Yep, Raiders. Um, he came out as gay, which I think was was very you know important and obviously in the news, and I think people were talking about that. There was also a runner uh, who qualified for the Olympics, na- uh, Olympics named Shakari Richardson, 21-year-old black woman who I think identifies as either gay and or queer. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a, um, a cool thing to bring up too. So, I don't know if you, you saw that stuff in the news. Yeah, I'm a huge I'm a huge track fan. Yeah. I, I know I've shared that I, ra- I race track and um, I'm like through the moon excited for the Olympics this yeah. year because there's just so many talented athletes. Um, and like world records are going to come crumbling down this year and Shakira Richardson is one of those people that – or Richards is one of those people that I think could do that. She is – fast yeah uh really fast and um you know we i think we've talked about this beforehand that there's like certain athletes in certain fields that like sort of elevate above the rest right we've talked about simone biles mm-hmm. or like tom brady or wayne gretzky in his prime stuff like that where they're just like playing a different game she kind of is getting close to that where she's so far in front of other people that it's getting a little bit ridiculous can i ask you a question <laughs> yeah because okay, i'm uh I, I when it comes to certain things track being one of them i am completely ignorant yeah all right so i plead uh, the fifth on yeah, that ignorance fine. 
do not judge me. These are probably stupid questions, but I got to ask them. I would think, particularly as a bald man, that when it comes to running or swimming, aerodynamics play a role. <laughs> how does she still – how does she excel at the level she's excelling with the hair I, and it, nails? Like, I, don't I, those things slow I, them da- the person I, down? I don't – I can't speak to the to the science behind it, but clearly something's working for her because yeah. – um, and I, I think it was just like her last race too. She had like a really, really – not a great start. She talked about it actually after the race too. She didn't really get out of the blocks well um, or the starting blocks well and still won by like handedly. Yeah. So – the hair and nails don't seem to be you know, affecting not. it at all. And so, yeah, but you, you see it more with swimming. People are like – like they wear those like – they call them tech suits. Like, yeah, yeah. To like be in the water and exactly. remove that. They You know, they shave their arms. They do all that different mm-hmm. stuff to try to like reduce that. Track, you don't really see too much of That's that. I don't know if it's like the next generation and you're going to st- – I, I have no idea. But it's not something that you typically see um, that, huh. that, that, run, that, that go through the sport. So, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's, so it's cool that we, we could bring that up for, for the Pride, for Pride Month. I know this episode is not going to come out in Pride Month, but we are recording it at the end of Pride Month. Um, and I thought I thought that was something we should probably call some positive attention to because they're both really important. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of the, the you know topic for today, I think it relates. I mean, those two athletes are certainly on social media. I would imagine before and after this type of news, not easy for them. You know, mm-hmm. anytime you're someone who is a high high-performing athlete or, you know, high-visibility individual because of what you do – you're, you know, social media is a, a pretty horrible place. I mean, I think it, it has some good stuff too. If you know where to look and you can sift between, which I, I think we've talked about in other episodes, like recommending people do that for balance in their own life and their mm-hmm. own mental health. Uh, and yet, um, overall, social media is kind of a cesspool. And I think for people who are in these positions, whether it's, you know, uh, athletes we've covered in the past or athletes like, um, you know, Shakari Richardson or, or Carl Nassib, you know, I'd imagine after this type of, uh, you know, news of their personal preferences coming out, there's a lot of support, but a lot of, of the opposite. And we thought talking about social media could be really important. Um, you know, what comes to mind? I'll just let you start off there, John, in terms of what comes to mind for you with the topic of social media. Yeah, it's a big one. I have a couple of just talking points of just things that are sort of I see as both pluses and minuses and then some stuff that I actually bring. I mean, I bring social media into the into the room typically um with my with my clients and I'll, I'll go into some some specific things that i use it because it can be it can be pretty helpful um you know i think one of the things that it's really helped is it's given we've talked about this in previous episodes too but it's really given athletes like a voice to speak up against really anything mm-hmm. um we certainly probably wouldn't be sitting in the chair talking about um like we wouldn't be having these podcasts about athletes talking about mental health if it weren't for social media yeah, platforms yeah. for them to be able to have a voice to say those yeah. different things so um or the, at least, a at least the reach it's right? a megaphone yeah, right yeah. they still they would i mean most of these are were written articles and they did interviews and things like that but the the megaphone reach would be far less so mm-hmm. i think that's been one major contributing factor that social media has been able to get these athletes access to their fans and to people now that also presents a pretty major issue, right? When you get access to people, they now also have access to you. So, um, you know, they, they, I'm sure most of them have some people that manage their accounts, but I know a lot of professional athletes don't. They manage their own accounts and they're, you know, getting into wars with people online and chat, you know, like comment sections and things like that. And that's where it can really start to be deteriorating. Um, so that it, it definitely comes as a, as a balance of giving them a platform to talk about certain things themselves, 
set the record straight, whatever it is. But it also can kind of be a rabbit hole that they can get sucked down into. And we've seen a couple of examples of athletes who have, who have done that. And I don't necessarily blame them for that. That's their their name that they're trying to protect and their reputation that they're trying to to uphold. And they've got these people who have no idea who they are, passing judgment and hate and all of these different things. Um, and I think it presents a really difficult problem for them. Um, so that's sort of some of the stuff that I see as as a real, as some of the stuff I think we're going to get into a little bit more too. Um, but one of the biggest things that I see um, with athletes who particularly go down that rabbit hole is that we've seen the impact of like public perception and narratives. And before it was mostly just like newspapers and it was easier to do that. But now if public opinion or public narrative is on social media and it's just constantly repeated over and over and over again. What we know about ourselves is that the more we hear something, the more we're exposed to something, the easier it is for us to believe it. Mm -hmm. And especially when that news is negative. And yep. let's be honest, social media ourselves, we're all geared towards negative. And if it's just on repeat that these athletes are getting, expo uh, getting exposed to like their name in the media and it's terrible, you know, it, it, it's hard for them to, to block that stuff out. And one example, this was back when the the decision mm -hmm. uh, uh, with LeBron, yeah. and he he got a lot of flack for that. I mean, it's basically his only major mistake he's ever made. Agree. Yeah, I agree. But it, but it, I I was on his case for that big time. Big I was time. like, this is not this is indicative of where he's going with his choices. I was like, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And I, I same. So I I will take accountability. I was not a fan of that. Um, yep, I didn't think I was also just a hater, just in general, because he was. It was LeBron sports hater, and sports yeah, hater yeah. right? We're, we're not, right, exactly. Everyone knows this. Yeah, we're, we're not hiding it. No, but then you know, then there was sort of after that, there was like the bad guy campaign. Where he was sort of just like, well, I guess I'm the bad guy, and mm -hmm. I don't think he played particular. And it sort of like he fed into that, and I think it was just because it was all of that exposure that was around him. So that's some of the pitfalls. One of the things that I use as a benefit for social media is that we now know, not that we didn't before, but we now know that these algorithms specifically target time spent, how much attention are we giving to specific things and they are, everything is fed to us based on what our attention is drawn to. Mm -hmm. And so what I usually do is I'll ask my clients sort of like, take notice, like what are you seeing more often on your feeds? What's popping up? Where is your attention going? Mm -hmm. um, and that often brings up some good conversations and some interesting things of like, oh, I'm noticing that this is coming up for me. I hadn't even really paid attention to that. Oftentimes, we just get into this like days of scrolling. Yeah, it'd be interesting to find out like somehow what percentage of, of social media consumption is in that mode. Yeah. It's like you just don't even realize that the switch uh, has flipped yeah. and you're in just like mindless mm -hmm. scrolling, doom scrolling, any kind of like just right. mindless kind of consumption because mm -hmm. that's where the, the real issues start to pop up. I yeah. agree. Yeah. yeah. So, that's some of the stuff and I've had some really interesting conversations with people who have like when I've brought that up of like, where's your attention? Like yeah. what, what's capturing your attention these days? Because yeah. social media is a really good indicator of where your attention is going. Yeah. So No, I agree and it almost kind of makes, makes me think of sort of like doing a a, you know, maybe not who, but who, what, when, where, why assessment of, of social media consumption, right? Really mm -hmm. trying to be intentional about it. Yep. Because if it's just on autopilot, I think that's where the dangerous stuff happens. Yeah. If you're really trying to think about, all right, when, when are you using it? Why are you using it? What are you looking for? Um, you know, who is involved, that kind of thing. I think that guards a person a little bit better. How often do we do that? Probably not. I guess yeah. I can, I could sit here and say that all I want, but right. the, the amount that I use social media probably isn't 
you know, in terms of me going through a who, well, when, where, why. I think I've gotten better at it in terms of when I use it and being more intentional about it. Mm-hmm. But there's still times where if I'm tired at the end of the day and I just need to like – there's weird, there's weird effect with social media where I think it's it's a safe place to kind of zone out and mm-hmm. just be able to kind of scroll things and scroll through things and not have to take things too seriously, at least off the bat, not have to think about the stress of the day or about the next day or whatever. So, mm-hmm. it's almost like a, a numbing agent in some ways. Um, which we know is not typically a good thing. If, it, if anything's used to numb emotionally, mm-hmm. it's not really a great thing. Um, so you mentioned, you know, a couple things come up. So one, you talked about negativity. And so it, what that makes me think of a little bit is sort of the addictive nature of social media. And I think there's different components to it. And some of these, I think most of these components were talked about in that documentary, The Social Dilemma, yeah. which most people have seen by now. It's on Netflix. Um, so I don't think I'm saying anything new here, but that is, is a great documentary that talks about how social media was created, you know, with the intention behind it, its creation versus what's happened as a result of its use, which are two very different pictures, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I think a lesson is always that, you know, history is paved with the best of intentions, but things just don't always go that way. Mm-hmm. But so, in terms of the addictive nature of social media, I had like four things I wrote in my notes about like, how, you know, what captures that. One is the, um, the negativity you mentioned, that, that negativity is kind of hardwired into our brains. I think that's more of like a, a defense mechanism to keep us safe from a very, very long time ago in terms mm-hmm. of scanning the environment and paying attention to yeah. negative aspects because negative aspects could equal threat. Yeah, could discomfort, equal death. change could equal all those things. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? So, the, so paying attention, uh, our unconscious processes, right, in our brain, paying attention to possible negative uh, things in the environment kept us alive for a very long time as a species in the last, you know, I mean, not even 100, last... 10 years since mm-hmm. social media has been created, you know, the, we don't adapt that quick, right? We don't evolve that quick. So, our functioning in our brain does not know how to factor in what social media is in the last 10 years and in 2021 and then sort of juxtapose that with our evolution and our DNA. That ain't mm-hmm. going to happen, right? right? So, we are r- really at a disadvantage when it comes to that in mm-hmm. terms of the way our processes just go on autopilot. So, that's one is that negativity that's hardwired that you mentioned. A second one is sort of the gambling or what I would call more like a roulette effect. And that's where like when people – what makes gambling addictive is often not the winning and losing of money. It's the the unknown, right? That that when you roll the roulette ball and it's spinning and you don't know where it's going to land, you might win, but you don't know, right? It's that chance. That mm-hmm. like floods the brain with chemicals mm-hmm. and that's very addictive to people. And I think social media is the same thing. Anytime you hit refresh, you're guaranteed some newness. You don't know what you're going to find and that's extremely addictive to people, right? Yep. So, that's the second one. I think the third one is emotion is contagious as well, right? So, we talked about negativity being contagious. Part of that is just the emotional aspect of right. it. Um, if you are if you walk into a room, particularly around people you know, and you see everyone is frowning, it is going to rub off on you and vice versa. If everyone's laughing and smiling, that's going to have an impact on you. So, that there can be a compounding effect that you mentioned like with social media in terms of like negativity but also emotion. And the last one is... Um, you know, basically we're a product of who we spend the most time around, right? And if you're spending the most time around certain types of people online, certain types of comments and, and negativity and that kind of stuff, just because that's the, those are the groups that you run with or that you mm-hmm. talk to the most, 
that's going to have an impact on the on your outlook on life too. So there's four kind of aspects to that addictive nature of, of social media. Yeah. Uh, well, first I want to say I am I'm actually a roulette master and professional. Oh, so it's go. not it's yeah. not chance or luck. It's he, actually he, skill. He I've, beat the I've, game. Cra- I've cracked the code, he beat Dimitri. So the one with uh, the worst odds for the players. If you ever, if yeah. you ever want to know, just let just if you ever want to go to the casino, can let I reveal me know, the secret? Know. Yeah. No, it's no, absolutely not. Um, not here. If you'd like to, <laughs> you can you can message us privately, and I'll I'll give you the secret. Um, green all the time uh double zero so um <laughs> we are not here for financial advice yeah, so, uh, uh this is not I won, a financial I won advice once, podcast yeah i won once all my track friends uh listening when we went down to puerto rico will, will attest i won one time and that was it uh now i'm a professional um but um one thing that you that you brought up that i think is really important it's again something that we i try to talk about too is like you said um you know we're a product of people we surround ourselves with and i absolutely think that people need to be thinking about social media as that person Mm -hmm. that's just always with Mm -hmm. you um and one of the things that i look to do as well is like be intentional about who you follow so remove people where you're like you know this is when you really start dissecting and almost like analyzing your own social media because it is in some regards analyzing yourself Mm -hmm. right um who are you choosing to to, to follow who are you choosing to surround yourself with i think we often put ourselves around people that we feel we deserve and that you know um that's not always necessarily positive relationships um so you know but then you can start injecting other people like if there are authors that you really enjoy or if there are motivational speakers that you like or if there are people you've seen on TED Talks or that people sort of align with your vision or purpose, put them in front of you more often yeah. and see and see what the what the type of impact can can be. Um, because I think that the like don't go on social media that much or um, try to limit it. I think those are all good pieces. I think we can try to do that, but I think that the reality is, yeah, is what yeah. and what we've learned is that that little phone in our pocket is probably going to win more often mm-hmm. than it's going to lose. Mm-hmm. And so we have to just be a little bit more intentional about it. I think, yes, if we can, we, I've, I've suggested like blackout days where you just don't use your phone or things like that. But the reality of it is that that's not, that's not going to happen. You know, people can't just like not be with their phone mm-hmm. and for emergency purposes or whatever. And so being intentional about following new people or putting, putting people that you want to be hearing more in front of you more often mm-hmm. and seeing the result of that. And people have been able to acknowledge the fact that like they'll come off social media feeling better. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is always a weird concept of like, they come off and they're like, Oh, I feel, I feel actually pretty good. Yeah. Rather than coming off and being like, Oh, I'm not on some fancy vacation or I'm not eating the fancy food mm-hmm. or, I'm not super successful like all of these people who aren't super successful but just have a really great way of trying to demonstrate yeah, that curating they are it. curating yeah. it. Um, and so and so that's some stuff that I like to try to bring into the room and I think it's it's a lost opportunity if you shy away from it and don't like go down and talk talk about that type of stuff because it's a major part of most people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it, uh, social media is not going anywhere. You know, no. smartphones are not going anywhere. So I think trying to just completely get away with it is unrealistic. And you know, it's better try to adapt and integrate. And I think if a person is more intentional about it. It depends on the platform too. I think that's a challenge as well. Each platform probably requires a, b- a bit of a different intentional approach, yeah. right? I think Instagram is much more, um, you know, it's going to be, I think one of the major pitfalls is, you know, scrolling through and looking at what other people s- seem to have and feeling like we don't have enough or feeling jealous or that kind of thing. Whereas something like Twitter is probably much more about uh, negative news consumption and, you know, sort of comment or inter- negative comment interaction back and forth, one-upping people, that kind of thing. So, yeah. uh, but I agree. I think if, if, you know, a person can go in and instead of 
being all or nothing and trying to just get that stuff out of their life entirely. You could if you want. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a more realistic approach is trying to learn how to adapt with it, right? Yeah. Just learn how to, it's a tool. Learn yeah. how to use yeah. it rather than just letting it completely dominate. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Another thing that comes to mind for, um, for social media, you know, to me is that it's sort of another version of an extension of the self, right? And so what comes to mind, those are, I think we're, we're seeing more, I don't know if that's part of our evolution or if we're seeing, why we're seeing more of those pop up, but I think um, they can be risky in different ways. Like, and I'll give an example, like a car is an extension of the self, right? Without a car, we have to walk everywhere we go. The car becomes an extension of the human. It brings us places. It allows us to do things and go at speeds that we can't normally do by ourselves. Well, unless you're Carrie Richardson, of course. Um, so, the car is an extension of the self. The phone is an extension of the self. Social media is an extension of the self. And... For whatever reason, when we have these extensions of the self, it, it leads to a lot of behavioral challenges. I think people feel more emboldened. Like that extension of the self almost gives them that buffer. Mm. You see this with cars and road rage, right? People yeah. people treat another person that cut them off in a car very differently than they would if a person in, in person, no extension of the self, mm -hmm. cut them off on a street. Mm -hmm. right? If you're on a sidewalk, I'm the same way, man. Like if someone cut me off on a sidewalk, I'd be like, oh, hey. No big deal. Like, mm -hmm. sorry, didn't see you there, right? Someone cuts me off for the car. I'm like, yeah. whoa, okay. Well, yeah. What's going to go down here? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, and you have to, I mean, part of that is you have to worry because the other person might might overreact. And anytime with a car, it seems like the odds of that kind of, of one person at least being pissed off are higher yeah. than if it was outside the car. And I think with the phone, it's the same thing, whether it comes to texting and other things, like we see behavior changes and, yeah. and emboldens people. With social media, it's no different, right? Social media gives people the buffer. That they, where they almost forget that there's consequences and that, that extension of them gives them more breathing room and deludes them into thinking that they can do things that they wouldn't normally do. An example of that is like the death threats that kind of come, come through. I mean, I guess there's people that may say that stuff in person too, but I would highly doubt. I, like, I think if all these people were in the same room, the percentage of, of you know, volatility and death threats and that kind of thing would, would plummet. I just probably would probably like 90 or more percent less in my opinion. Um, something about that protective extension itself gives these people the, this license to just say things that are absolutely terrible. Yeah. And I know we, we, I mean, I can't, we didn't have any specific athletes, but I know most athletes at some point in time deal with death threats online. Um, so I didn't know if that was something that you, you'd given any thought to. No, I think just uh, the same that you, I think it's, I think you're right. I think it's this like buffer that people feel like they can be invisible behind a screen or behind their phone yeah. and like, and their thumbs can do the talking of saying things that are just highly inappropriate, um, and making death threats for people who have like just either come out and said who they are, who they love, or just to share their opinion. And mm -hmm. then being met with death threats is, um, a little bit absurd. Um, and that's, again, that's one of the risks that people that we have when putting our voice out there through a megaphone is that people are going to call back. Um, you know, the therapist in me really worries for the people who are making these threats, right? Like how sad of an existence do they have to live to want to go out of their way mm -hmm. to go onto somebody's social media and to say so, such hurtful things. It really makes me concerned. Like, how how much like how bad are they struggling right yeah, i know yeah. i've used my like lifeguard analogy before but that's like the perfect drowning victim right of someone who's going onto social media and trolling people for the sake of trolling or even worse they really feel like that person needs to die for mm -hmm. whatever that mm -hmm. they said um and i think that they i think the buffer not only emboldens them to feel safer but i think it also limits their ability to feel compassion and empathy for the person that they're that they're saying these things to i think that's another result and consequence of that buffer 
I, I, I guess I have to believe that. I, I yeah. don't know. I, that the, you know, when you hear, you hear athletes and it happens a lot with, um, like mostly famous people, actors and actresses have come out and said that they've gotten death threats as well. So it's not, you know, not obviously certainly not just, not just athletes and they are like broken up about it. I mean, you can hear like they are like leveled by these things and, um, which is normal. Terrible. I don't know that it's like, a, uh, it's, I mean, maybe if you just get conditioned to it, which can't be a great thing, but you, if you hear it enough, you just get so uh, desensitized to it that you can adapt and not care. But I think it's an, it's kind of a understandable human reaction to be really hurt and upset and and feel off guard by that kind of thing. Yeah. How could you, I've I've never, I, me personally, I've never received a death threat, but I, I can imagine if I, if I ever were to have, if someone were ever to have threatened my life, I would probably do seclusion i would be worried about my family yeah, yeah you start to happen. go down the list i would really to start consider. to like spiral yeah. right and i'm not in the public eye mm-hmm. right so not yet uh <laughs> just kidding uh, but i would say that you know i think uh for people who people know who you are mm-hmm. and if you're getting death threats you can't like hide other yeah. than just keep yourself secluded into your house yeah. which presents its own issues so yeah. i i don't know i don't have any solutions for it um but it's definitely something that's happening and needs to needs to needs to stop. I think that that buffer you talked about is maybe an area that we could that people could try to focus in on. But. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm thinking like when you started saying that, I'm thinking that, that that extension of the self, you know, whether it's in this case it's social media or the phone or that kind of thing. I mean, not only does it give people a buffer where they feel more emboldened to do things they wouldn't otherwise do, I think, and maybe this is sort of a, a different way of saying the same thing. I think it, it that buffer pushes them away from a healthy human connection. In right, which case, exactly. If they had it, right. the empathy would be intact. Exactly. And they wouldn't be doing those things. So right. it's sort of a, a – for for two reasons, it's really a disadvantage, yeah. I think, for, for people in, in terms of, um, you know, their, their personal functioning and how they treat others. And, I mean, you said something that really hit hit home with me, which is that when you see that type of thing online – what really comes to mind is how much the person saying it is struggling and that especially if it's being said to you it's hard to remember that understand oh, at least yeah. at first Almost i mean impossible. eventually i think yeah, yeah to remove yeah, for sure yeah. especially right off the bat you're not going to you're going to be thinking about your own safety you're going to be thinking about your own emotions yeah you're not going to be considering the position the other person's in because you know it's going to kind of be like oh, well screw them how, how dare i don't care what they're going through how dare they mm-hmm. say that to me kind of thing but eventually if you take a step back i think you definitely recognize that the people saying these things are really hurting i mean they because it's just if you lose, use logic, which is hard to use in the situation, you step back, we use logic for a second. What would what? How bad would a person have to be off in their life, right, in terms of their functioning, their happiness, their well being, to actually make a death threat to somebody? I mean, that's not someone who's who's got it going good, um, yeah. got it going well. They are really hurting and in pain. Yeah, and this is their way of trying to reclaim that, trying to get their emotion out in a very very unhealthy way. And I mean, let's be honest, what, what percentage? Of these are males. Yeah. I, would. I mean, if you had to take a, a guess at that, what would it be? Definitely the majority. I would, I would say. say like 99 or more, more yeah. percent. Yeah. I mean, maybe a little bit less, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, um, and so that's interesting because that, that kind of makes me think of like masculinity. It makes me think of some of the stuff we've talked about in past episodes in mm-hmm. terms of, uh, you know, the men's playbook and how guys just struggle to deal with emotion and they often wait too long and don't have the coping mechanisms to get out in a healthy way. Yeah. This is the the product of that. The people that go down that road far, way too far, end up the people that that take it out on others, and sometimes in really violent or uh, risky ways. So yeah, I I just to go off of that. I see that the like 
when people do that is it's it's a representation of their inability to connect, right? So it has again and again when you're the person receiving this, it, it it's impossible to to do this. And this is some is similar not to this the same extent, um, but similar when you're doing like bullying work with 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 people of yeah. like trying to have them understand like this isn't a reflection of anything that you've yeah. done. This is really just a a mirror reflection of the other person projecting their own issues on like onto you, right? Yeah. And they, and they're trying to cope with their own pain by putting it onto somebody else because it's a lot safer to say you're the problem than it is for them to take accountability of like I need to do some work or I'm not happy and there's something I need to do for myself. Way harder to do that than it is to be like uh your genes don't look good yeah. right or whatever yeah um and I, I so i really do see that as sort of just a complete lack of like a representation of that they don't know how to connect yeah, yeah and that buffer is again another sort of example of that so. yeah for sure um one other thing i wanted to just get we're, we're going to wrap up in a couple minutes here but one other thing uh aspect of social media i wanted to get your opinion on is burner accounts where do you stand on burner accounts johnny so I don't really, I don't honestly, I don't really have opinions either. Or I think that's a so little, you have a burner account. That's, I do. Cool. I have okay. I have three right. or four of them. <laughs> um, so just you know, for whatever reasons. Now, I, I guess if I were like a. I've never been in the position of being someone who like walking down the street, someone would recognize who I was or be in the public sphere. And so I, I guess I can understand why you would want to have a burner account for like privacy pieces, but then it also presents its major issues. So I guess I don't really have like a formal opinion because I've never been in a situation like that. I think, I think it presents, again, similar to like, all, like we talked about tools. I think similar to all tools, it presents problems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I don't know if it's, solves more problems than it causes. I think yeah. that's probably where I lie on that. Yeah, I've kind of like, I've given this in thought and I've kind of like flip-flopped around around the topic quite a bit. I mean, I understand, I think if someone is a high-profile person and they're used to having to curate everything and be super cautious with everything they do, especially if they're coming from that angle, which I think some people can get away with just being 100% authentic and just letting it fly, mm -hmm. but there's risk in that. And I think they have teams around them that are usually coaching them not to do that, most likely, mm -hmm. I think most athletes and so there's risk, and I think uh, I can understand how to, you know, reduce risk and lean into just being able to have an outlet to be yourself. They they might have a, a burner account. I think where it maybe gets tricky is how they use that, right? <laughs> if they're using it just to get an escape from that public in the public eye, I, I, I you know that's that I think would, would it's understandable how that'd be helpful. If they're using it to defend themselves, a la Kevin Durant. <laughs> I don't know. I can see that going down some some roads where maybe it's not like helpful for the person um, mm -hmm. or that kind of thing. But who knows? I've never been in that position. Right. Uh, I'm sure I'd speak differently on it if I was. So. Yeah. And so, like again, like kind of speaks like Durant should have the capability to to speak up against someone who's saying something of, about him. Right. He should have the ability to do that to stand up and advocate for himself. But like to what end? Right. Yeah. It, it's I, I I guess I don't have enough understanding, but I would I would. Put a put a large wager on a roulette table. Um, green. that yeah. double green, <laughs> double green. That people who like stand up to trolls or um, you know, go into that and like dive down that rabbit hole. I can't imagine many of them come out the other end. I, I don't. Except I don't. For Brad I don't, Marchand. Maybe Brad. <laughs> maybe Brad. <laughs> Check but, out episode three. Yeah. Or but four. I, right. But I can't imagine that 
like if they were to say like, oh, this was so harmful and hurtful and I can't believe you'd say something like that, that the troll person would be like, you're totally right. I'm so sorry. I, never, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. can't believe I said that. It's usually just another opportunity for them to be like, oh, you're such or, a baby. And other or, trolls. Will and then other in, people just in, kind yes, of like, yeah, ooh, yeah, we got to we got yeah, a hit on yeah, this person. Yeah, he got triggered yeah, or he yeah. got upset. Let's go get yeah, him. Yeah. So I, I think it's just, I think, he, like I said, I think it probably presents more problems than not. Yeah. But I don't disagree with athletes and just people being able to defend themselves yeah. against just visceral language and all these different things that are being thrown at them from random people. Agreed. So, agreed. I don't know. Yeah, so we are going to wrap up uh, for this episode. want to just remind people, um, you know, subscribe on YouTube, uh, write some comments uh, if you, if you you know, listen to our episodes. We really are looking for ways to kind of engage with, with people, with listeners, about thoughts uh, on the stuff that we discuss, uh, questions, anything like that. So we want to thank everyone for listening to the Grim Drive Podcast for this discussion about social media. We'll be back next week week uh, to talk about whether or not momentum in sports is a real thing. Yeah.